We've been in a series on hope and I've just loved preparing it, loved sharing it. And our key passage is from Romans 15 and verse 13, as we look a little bit more into this whole topic that hope has a name and it's the name of Jesus. Paul says in Romans 15 and verse 13, may the God of hope, the God of hope, fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I've entitled this message in the series, Prisoners of Hope. And it's to put it in stark contrast that there's so many people who feel that they are prisoners of hopelessness. And it's a very real malady, an illness that attacks the soul and does terrible things when people lose a sense of hope. I was reading about POWs in the North Korean War, or in the Korean War, and the death rate of US soldiers in North Korean POW camps was 38%. It was the highest ever in US military history. What was amazing is that on the whole, the POWs were provided with adequate food, water, shelter, and for the most part, were not tortured. They even found that many camps weren't even surrounded with barbed wire and some didn't even have armed guards. Dr. William E. Mayer, who was one of the lead psychologists talking to returned prisoners after the war, uncovered what he called was a new syndrome, a pervasive and extreme hopelessness. Marasmus, he called it, which literally means withering, the withering of hope on the inside. And what it caused it was some very deliberate techniques by the North Koreans to place a person in, in a situation of very deep despair. They encouraged that they inform on each other and gave little rewards of sweets and cigarettes and things like that for fellow prisoners to inform on each other. Nobody ever got punished as a consequence, but it created this paranoia, this anxiety that somebody's watching, somebody's going to report me. They deliberately undermined trust in others and particularly in the leadership of senior officers and ultimately of the nation at the time. They encouraged soldiers, in fact, led by North Korean soldiers to create small groups where they were severely self-critical of things that they had done or things that they hadn't done that they thought they should have. And probably one of the worst things was they just inundated the POWs with negative news. Any letter that came that had positive news was never handed on. The only letters that were passed on were letters that contained negative news. And it created this total despair, this bombardment, losing trust, losing confidence in others, losing any sense of, uh, of, of what was going on in the world. The good, they only got fed the bad. But Christmas is about the birth of hope. And Jesus literally is the birth of a new kind of hope amongst humanity. 
Isaiah prophesied this, and Paul quotes it in Romans 15 and verse 12. Isaiah said, the heir to David's throne will come and he will rule over the Gentiles and they will place their hope in him. They will place their hope in him. And we invite you and God continually invites us to fix our eyes on Jesus. And as we look at a humble manger, perhaps foremost in our thinking, we discover one who, no matter what we may be facing, is able to fill us with all joy and peace as we put our trust in Him, so that you can overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, this hope is not just a kind of optimism. This is a revolutionary force, a power that breaks out of eternity and into time, transforming your today and shaping your tomorrow, your future. Jesus' arrival changed everything. An explosion of hope and life entered a world that was marked by death. I want to talk about three things about this hope that comes from him. In him, the Gentiles will put their hope. Number one, it's a hope that endures. It's a tough kind of hope. It's not fragile. And our confidence is not grounded in our ability to fix ourselves or even our world. Our confidence, our hope is in the fact that God's made an unflinching commitment to broken humanity by sending his son. Our hope is secure. Yes, hard times will come. And this year has been one of those times for all of us in different ways. And some even listening to me, it's been more extreme for you than maybe for others. But God's faithfulness is concrete. God's faithfulness is something you can build a life on. Paul says in Romans 12 and verse 12, rejoice in hope. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. I want you to notice what he leads off with. He talks about the tribulation. And the word literally means to be squeezed, to be crushed, to be pressed, that heaviness. But he says, start off by rejoicing in hope because hope has a name and it's the name of Jesus. And he says, you're going to have to be patient in the pressing, in the difficult circumstances. And be constant in prayer. Bring your request to God. Paul writing in the book of Colossians, and they're amongst the most magnificent words, declarations about Jesus and God's purpose. He says, God chose to make known how great amongst the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. I love that phrase, the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you. This is not a self-manufactured hope. This is a hope that springs up from your innermost being the moment you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And I want to pose the question, if you're listening to me, watching today, have you accepted Jesus Christ? Is he in you? And if you haven't, towards the end of the service, I'm going to give you an opportunity 
to invite Jesus. So Christ in you will be the hope of glory. You see, God, our creator, Jesus, our savior, rather than our circumstance is the basis for hope. I love King David in his old age said, for you, O Lord, are my hope. My trust, O oh Lord, from my youth. He's looking back through life and you read the story of David and it was tempestuous. There were extremely difficult times. He had to flee for his life as his own son betrayed him on one occasion. But he says, from my youth, I've not only trusted in you, but Lord, you've been my hope. So hope is this tough thing, the thing that endures through all of life's circumstances. But hope is also a shaping force. Hope is a vision for the future. And it's a force that begins to shape you in the present for your future. Uh, let me give uh, a very simple illustration. If a young man suddenly begins to be interested in a young lady, Jesse, you may want to take notes on this. And they're pursuing a romantic relationship. The young man will start dressing differently, will shower regularly, <laughs> brush their teeth, start wearing deodorant perhaps, and tons of aftershave where you could smell them coming from a block away. Because what are they doing? Their hope for the relationship begins to change their behavior now. And God's hope is like that. When that hope, Christ in you, the hope of glory, begins to spring up within you, that hope, that anticipation of what God has for you in time and for eternity begins to shape your behavior. It's this powerful force to bring transformation. And that's why Christians ought to be peculiar people. I didn't say weird. But the Bible calls us peculiar. We should be different. We should live differently. We should have different ambitions and goals and vision for our lives. And in a culture marked by death, Jesus makes us agents of life and hope to bring others into that hope by them discovering something significant as they watch the way you live and deal with tribulation and deal with testing and deal with difficult times. Hoping Jesus is revolutionary. It's forming us into a countercultural community in the midst of a passing age. And Paul says this in Ephesians 5 verse 1 to 2, imitate God therefore in everything you do because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. He's saying because of Jesus, live differently, imitate God. But the third thing is that hope is anchored in eternity. We've talked about hope as an anchor of the soul. That's what the Bible says. But that anchor is an eternity. It's not just in the fabric of time. It's anchored in eternity. We live in a YOLO generation. And to help all of us, I've explained what it is. You only live once. YOLO. You only live once. And that makes us a FOMO generation. 
the fear of missing out. How current am I? With a little help from my friends. <laughs> but this YOLO mindset that creates this FOMO. If I don't pack everything into my life, if my life's not Instagram perfect all the time, I'm missing out. Actually makes us narcissistic. It makes us inward looking. It makes us shape everything for ourselves rather than what God wants us shaping things for others, shaping things for eternity. And we get consumed in engineering our best Instagram life. Pearl S. Buck said, to eat bread without hope is to still slowly starve to death. God put it this way in Isaiah 55 and verse two, He says, why spend money? Why spend all of this energy on trying to get your best life when you don't really have a living hope and it doesn't satisfy? Why spend wages and still be hungry? And seeking to fill our lives without God and without this eternal hope actually leaves us even more empty on the inside. Yeah, we might have that perfect Instagram life, but it's in the quiet moments. It's in the darkness when you can't sleep at night, that hollowness is discovered. And what usually happens is the longer you live in that, the more cynical you get. But an eternal hope not only motivates you, but it also gives you purpose for time and for eternity. Paul says in Colossians 1 and verse 5, so your faith and love are based on what you hope for. Your faith and love are based on what you hope for, which is kept safe. Another translation says laid up in heaven for you. I love that. Your hope is laid up, kept safe in eternity and the connection of Christ in you, the hope of glory connects to that eternal hope that is laid up in heaven for you. If only you have hope in this world, how miserable will you be? But if you have hope in this world and for eternity, you have something extremely significant. And there's so much that I would speak to on that, but I just wanna read one passage. And we're looking at the beginning of the moment when Jesus stepped into the world, Revelation records some of the final moments. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it and His servants will worship Him and they will see His face and His name will be on their foreheads and the night will be no more. They will need no lamp of light or son, for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. Eternal hope. See, hope has a name and it's the name of Jesus. We started with a prophecy from Isaiah quoted by the Apostle Paul. And I wanna to go to Matthew's gospel where again, they quote, the prophet Isaiah, speaking of this servant, 
this servant king, this child that would to be born in a manger, what he would do and how he would do it in humanity for us. The prophecy of Isaiah concerning him, look at my servant whom I've chosen. He's my beloved who pleases me. I will put my spirit upon him. He will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not fight nor raise his voice in public. No attention seeking behavior. He will not crush the weakest reed or put out a flickering candle. That person right now who feels like my hope is like a flickering candle, it's going to get blown out any minute. He'll come. He'll nurture that. He'll strengthen that hope. And finally, he will cause justice to be victorious. And his name, and his name, the name of Jesus, will be the hope of the world. Have you found that hope in the person of Jesus? See, Jesus here is introduced, the servant chosen of God with such poetic beauty and redemptive meaning. The Holy Spirit rests creatively on him. The hope of all nations is centered on him. The helpfulness of grace characterizes everything he does. He brings justice to all, as Amos prophesied. Let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like ever flowing streams. He comes amongst us with humility and with overwhelming compassion. He respects even the smallest element of faith. And he will not break the bruised reed, nor quench the smoking flax. And he opens an invitation of grace to all. And his, in his name will be the hope of the world. And in his name will be the hope of the world. Our hope is a fortress, hope in God. It's a safe place. We find ourselves embraced by unshakable confidence, not ours, but God's confidence that what he starts, he will complete. The king has come. Our hope is secure. And I, for one, am a prisoner of that hope. I love the words of Zechariah. Return to your fortress. Return to your safe place in God. You prisoners of hope. For even now I will announce that I will restore twice as much to you. I love that. The prison of hope idea, not a prison of hopelessness, but a prison of hope. And that God prophesies, and this is part of our theme for 2021, I will restore, I will restore. And we put our hope in that. And so the question is, are you a prisoner of hopelessness? Trying to make your way through life by yourself? Or are you a prisoner of hope? Hope secured in the person of Jesus and his name will be the hope of all the world. You see, there's many reasons you need God, you need Jesus in your life. Number one, he gives you real meaning. When you discover why the Creator put you on the planet, it's one of the greatest joys. 
You need Jesus. He promises if you accept Him, He will walk with you every day. He'll never leave you or forsake you. And He'll speak to you and He'll guide you and He'll impart wisdom and strength in situations. But most of all, you and I need Jesus for eternity. The Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. You, you don't want to stand before the judgment seat alone, trying to give an account, trying to balance up the good and the bad. The Bible says just one sin is enough to separate you from God for eternity. That's why Jesus came and He stands next to you and says, I bled for Him, I lay down my life for Him, for her. They're one of ours and you're ushered into the eternal presence of God. 